Good morning, church family. It's great to be with you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Hope you thoroughly enjoyed your family and maybe a little break and plenty of good food and all that good stuff that goes with Thanksgiving. I really was thinking what a joy it is. One of the things I'm incredibly thankful for is you and this church family and so thankful just reflecting even back on the past three or four weeks, thankful for what God seems to be doing in the life of our church and Mentioned it several times, there's a spark here that we're incredibly thankful for. There's this spark where God is raising and building a culture here where we want to make the love of God known. And there's conversations that are happening and there's concern about our lost friends that just has never happened before. And there's a desire to make Jesus known to our neighbors and to the nations. I mean, we're just thrilled about what God is doing this morning what, I, what I'm going to try to do is kind of put a punctuation or an exclamation point on the past few weeks as we've talked about I will make known in different ways and kind of talk about that a little bit from Philippians chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and turn there, Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. That's our gift to you. You can take that with you if you need a Bible. But find your place in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be around verse 15 or so in just a minute, but before I get into the text, I want to set up the big idea of where we're going this morning with a quick story. Uh, There's a story that, uh, and and I'll just tell you, I've had this story, this is not just a preacher story, right? This was actually true, Uh, and it's uh, true, I've met some of these people and our African partner, Kun, is going to be here in just a few weeks with his wife, and he could verify this story. But it's about a bush church in Zambia, in Africa. It's about this small church in rural Africa, incredibly, incredibly poor. And again, in our Western mindset, when I say poor, you really have no idea of what I'm talking about. But just deep poverty, a small church, probably around 100 believers or something like that. And uh, God was doing something in the midst of this church. This church there in the heart of Africa and Zambia, as God was moving in their midst, they had a desire to make Jesus known. Not just in Zambia, their own country, but they wanted to take the gospel to other nations there in Africa. And there was one particular young man in this church who God had clearly placed a call on his heart to leave his country of Zambia and go to the neighboring nation of Tanzania or Tanzania. And he sensed a call to go there and take the, the message of the gospel to this Muslim, unreached Muslim tribe there in Tanzania and the problem was he was incredibly poor he didn't have the money to get there but he knew this call of God was on his life and he shared this call with his church family and the amount of money that was going to be necessary to get him from Zambia to Tanzania where this tribe was was around 600 U.S. dollars now let's be honest you and I hear that in our western mindset and that's a lot of money I mean I'd like to have 600 bucks but that's not this unreasonable amount Well, this church took this task on and they believed it was their responsibility to raise the money to send this young man out and provide him with the resources he needed. Well, that church at that point had a weekly offering of $2.25. That was the weekly offering for this small bush church there in Africa. So $2.25 to $600 was an astronomical figure, something that they just couldn't even imagine God raising, but they took it on and the elders of the church said, yes, we believe, we believe God wants to use us and raise the money necessary. And the church said, yes, we believe he's one of our own and we want to do whatever's necessary to send him out. And after the church said yes, in two weeks' time, two weeks' time, the church raised over $600 and sent this young man to Tanzania. 
The church was visited later, and first-hand account, I'm actually going to quote some of these guys. They were asked, the leaders and some of the people in the church, how did you, humanly speaking, how did you raise what seemed to be an astronomical amount of money? And here's what some of the members in the church said, and I quote. They said, some of us realized that we had three shirts, and we really only needed two. So we took one of our shirts and we would take our clothes to the market and we would sell our extra, our excess in the market and bring the money to the church. Some of the people said we we had so much corn and maize, we, we looked around and we realized we were eating three meals a day and they realized and they said we knew we could make it on two meals a day. So we took our extra corn and we took our extra maize and we sold it at the market and we brought the extra to the church. And at the end of the day, after two weeks, over $200 had been raised. And today there is a young man preaching the gospel among the unreached of Tanzania, the Muslim people sent out from this little bush church of Africa. Now that's a great story. And that ought to challenge our hearts and our understanding of giving. And here, here's the big idea that I want us to chase this morning as a church, and it's this. Churches making Jesus known are always radically generous people. And that's just a common thread. I, that's been my experience. You, you see that in the scriptures. You see that in other churches. Every church I've ever known that's serious about making Jesus known and the gospel and planting churches and reaching the nations, there's this consistency of they're generous, radically generous people. This morning I want us to look with the Apostle Paul at Philippians chapter 4. Now, Philippians chapter 4 is the Apostle Paul writing to a very generous church, the church at Philippi. And he's writing to the church at Philippi. Basically, the letter is a thank you letter for their great generosity. Church at Philippi was not an exact, exa- uh, what's the word I'm trying to, a luxurious church, an exaborate church. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Anyway, never mind. It was a really rich church. I was like Nick Ripkin. Honey, what was I trying to say there? Anyway. It was just a normal church. But they had been generous to support the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is writing from the city of Rome in house arrest. You remember the book of Acts, at the end of Acts, we left Paul in Rome and he was in house arrest from Rome. During his time under house arrest in Rome, he writes this letter back to the church at Philippi, thanking them for their generosity. Paul was supported financially by this little church at Philippi. So what this church provides for us is an incredible model of radical generosity. For us as a church, as we continue to grow in this thing of making Jesus known and this share culture that we long for in our midst, the idea of radical generosity and making Jesus known always go together. They just go together. The church at Philippi gives us a great model for that. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Paul first writes, and you don't have to look this up, He talks about the generosity at the church at Philippi. He does that in 2 Corinthians 8. I'm going to read you a couple verses in a minute. And then he literally writes to the church at Philippi, thanking them for their generosity. And for us, it provides a model and something to strive for this morning as we look at Scripture together. So 
I'm going to read first as Paul describes the generosity of this little church in Philippi. He does that in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 through 5. I'll just read this to you to be on the screen, and then we'll go to Philippians 4. So Paul says this. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the churches in Macedonia. One of those churches was the church at Philippi. So he's describing some other churches, but particularly Philippi. He says, here was their attitude in giving. Here was their attitude, verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, so it wasn't financial prosperity, the stock market wasn't booming, money wasn't rolling, and he says, in the midst of a very severe time, their overflowing joy, you write in your Bibles, I encourage you to circle that word joy. He says their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Stop right there. In our Western mindset, can we just be real honest with each other? The idea of extreme poverty and overflowing joy don't go together, do they? No. Paul says God was doing something in the lives of these believers at Philippi that in a very severe trial they were overflowing with joy in the midst of extreme poverty. And here here was the outcome. It was welling up in rich generosity. Man, I love that. Paul's writing this, this part to another church, a church at Corinth, and he says, I want to tell you about these churches, Philippi in particular, times were hard, things were bad, the economy was not even good, but God was doing something in their life that it was just welling up in this overflowing generosity. How's that happen? Verse 3, Paul says, for I testify, and let me just tell you, they gave as much as they were able And even beyond what they were able. Wow. So as they gave and somehow they were financially able to give even beyond their means. Kind of like that church in Africa I told you about. They didn't just give what they were able. They gave beyond what they were able. Entirely on their own it says. Verse 4. Now listen to this attitude in giving. I love this. He says they urgently pleaded with us. For the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. This giving opportunity Paul had given them. He says, the church at Philippi was like, was like this. Paul, oh, let us give. It, it would be like if we were in here in the service and somehow I forgot to, you know, announce the offering. And we were walking out, we're about to give that. All, all of you go, hold on, Pastor Mike, time out. We forgot to give the offering. Oh, let us give. Or you hear about these opportunities to fund other churches or support missionaries or give through the give to go, and you say, yes, yes, we want to be a part of that. That was the attitude of the church at Philippi. They longed to make a difference through their giving. Now, how does that happen? Verse 5. Paul says, and they exceeded our expectation. Paul said they gave more than we could have made. We couldn't. We couldn't even imagine the generosity that they demonstrated. How did they do that? Watch this. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. In other words, Paul says, listen, here's how they were able to give so generously. And here's how that demonstration of giving came out. They had first completely surrendered themselves to the person of Jesus Christ. This is huge for you and I this morning. 
I'm going to give you a few truths on giving from this passage, then I'll give you a few more from Philippians chapter 4. Here's the first one that we see that flows out of 2 Corinthians 8 is this. Vital truth number one, our giving, our financial generosity and giving is an overflow of our abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says, listen, I'll tell you how they were so generous and I'll tell you how they had that attitude is because Christ had all of them. It's like Paul was saying, listen, when Jesus really has your heart and your heart is captivated by him and what he has done in your life and the grace of God is greatly at work in your heart and you realize the lavish grace that's been extended to you, the response will be a life like this and not a life like this, right? In other words, biblically, it is a really stark contradiction for a believer to say something like this. Lord, you can have my soul. Lord, I give you my eternity. Lord, I'm trusting you to take away my sin to be my Lord and Savior. But Lord, just keep your hands off my wallet, <laughs> right? Now, I'm just going to own something in this room for a second because I think it's necessary. Some of you are a little uncomfortable and nervous because you just realize, wait a minute, you kind of tricked me, Pastor Mike, with that story, but you're talking about giving, aren't you? Yep. And that makes us nervous sometimes. Because let's just be real honest. Sometimes we think, man, he, he, he can go, you know, there's a line you can't cross. And you start getting into my finances and my giving. You're just getting real, real personal. Let me just share as one of your elders and one of your pastors that deeply loves you. This Bible talks a great deal about our resources and how we steward what is given to us. Not out of compulsion, not out of yoke. Let me, hear, let me just say something very clearly. God is not poor. God does not need your money. God is not a pauper in heaven. But when we talk about giving, the reason it becomes such a touchy subject for us because it's not about money, it's about our heart. It's about our heart. Paul says these believers in Philippi, they gave as a reflection of, of who had their heart. Their, their lavish generosity was a demonstration of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And the lavish grace they had experienced was overflowing in faithful giving and generosity to advance the gospel. See that? When we talk about giving this morning, we need to understand it, it's an overflow of our abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Paul shows you kind of the attitude of giving the church at Philippi had there in 2 Corinthians 8. Now, go back to Philippians 4 where I said we're going to be. We're going to be around verse 15. Now Paul's going to write a letter directly to the church at Philippi. And he's writing this letter basically to say thank you for your support. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, Paul's writing from house arrest. He's in Rome. And remember, if you were in prison in Rome like Paul was, you weren't supported by the government. The Roman government wasn't taking care of Paul. If you're a prisoner in that day, your immediate family or someone has to bring you your meals. Your immediate family better bring you clothes. Whatever you have is going to be brought to you by someone that loves you. Paul didn't have an immediate family. The only way Paul was taken care of under house arrest in Rome is because of the support of the church at Philippi. So Paul, from house arrest, writes a letter back to Philippi thanking them for their extreme and radical generosity. So let's look at a few verses. We'll make a few more applications this morning. Okay, Verse 15, Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, 
you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, he said, you guys remember when I was there, I was there at Philippi, Paul was a part of starting the church. He said, when I left Philippi, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Paul says, listen, Philippians, all these churches I started and all this, for some reason, you and you alone was the only church that supported me financially. So he's writing this letter back to thank them for their generosity. Verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. It was a regular pattern of the church at Philippi. And in verse 17, he says something incredible. He says, now listen, not that I seek the gift itself. Paul says, the gift that you sent is incredibly important, but you need to understand what I taught you about giving and what I'm saying here about giving is much more important than the gift you might send. Because what's this? Paul says, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul says, this is huge. I want you guys to hear this. Paul is a good shepherd and a, even speaking pastorally. He says this. When I talk to you about financially giving and honoring the Lord with your resources, he says, it is not because I want something from you. Paul says, I want something desperately for you. He says, it's to the credit that a profit that increases to your account. Here's what Paul knows. And let me just be as honest with you as I can this morning. Here's what your elders here know, and here's what one of your pastors here knows and believes to the heart of my being. Will we be a church that faithfully teaches what Scripture says about the area of finances and giving? Yes. Does that make some people feel a little bit uncomfortable? I guess so. But let me just say this. If your pastors here do not teach you faithfully about giving and stewardship, we are not serving you well. We are not loving you. In fact, we are robbing you of great joy. Because Scripture is gloriously full of the promises of God to those disciples who say, you know what, I'm going to honor God first. And I'm going to trust God with all of my finances. And I'm going to know the joy, like the church at Philippi, of saying, here's what you've entrusted to me. And God, I'm going to faithfully honor you with it first. Uh, let me chase a tangent here really quick. 22 years ago. Jennifer and I were a part of this church. I've shared this story before. This is a part of our testimony of who we are as believers. We were part of this church 22 years ago before God took us away for 15 years and then brought us back. I am thankful to this day for men like Gene Remiliad, who was sitting right over there in the first service, and Jim Fuller, who was over here, and Charles Chandler, who's sitting right here, and men who invested in me. And here's what they taught, how to manage and steward God's resources faithfully in the area of giving. And now 22 years later, I can say it has served me and my family well, and I am thankful for what God taught me in this church. I want you to know that. Not to say if you're a young person or maybe you're a college student or you have a new job and you're thinking, I don't even have two pennies to rub together. You're talking to me about giving. Listen, learning the principles of what the Bible says about faithful stewardship has nothing to do with how much money you have. Nothing. It's all about the heart and the heart of discipleship and worship and loving the Lord Jesus. And Paul's saying, listen, not that I seek the gift. I'm seeking the profit that goes to your account and all the blessings 
that come from honoring God first in the area of finances. Verse 18, he said, I've received everything in full. I have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent from the church at Philippi to Paul in Rome to deliver the gift. He says it was a fragrant aroma. It was an acceptable sacrifice. It was well-pleasing to God. And then watch this, verse 19. Very few of you in this room have not heard this verse before. This is one of those familiar verses in the Bible. Many of you have it memorized, but I dare say this. Many of you have no idea the context in which God makes this promise. So here's the promise, verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's probably not a believer in this room that hadn't at one point claimed that promise. And you can claim that promise, but you need to understand it is written in the context of faithful stewardship of what God has entrusted to you. And when we are giving faithfully and when we are honoring God first, you can bank on it that God will meet all of your needs according to his riches. Not your riches. His riches. And he has a lot more than you have, I promise. So Paul says to this church, you can, you can bank on that God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you three more truths really quick about what happens when we faithfully give and honor the Lord with our financial resources. I've already given you one, one truth. It's a manifestation or a demonstration of our relationship with Jesus. Here's vital truth number two. When we give, we participate in God's kingdom activity. Look at verse, verse 15 again. Paul says, You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me. The word shared is the word koinonia. We translate it sometimes fellowship. It, it really has very little to do with meals or turkey and dressing. All that stuff is good. But the word fellowship here literally means partnering together for something greater than ourselves. Paul, Paul says, when you supported me financially, you were partnering with me in the advancement of the gospel. And this is so huge. He's saying to the Philippians, every church I planted, every person I led to Christ, every human need I was able to meet, Everything God allowed me to do, you were a direct part of it. You were a partner with me through your financial giving. Paul says, you were a partner with me. I mean, imagine getting that letter from Paul and understanding that all that Paul, all that God has used Paul to do, and the Philippian church has to get this letter, they have to read it, they go, we get to be a part of that. Yes. And for you and I here this morning, that's why it's so important to understand when, when we teach on giving and when we practice financial giving primarily through your local church, me included, as my family gives through this local church, we're partnering in God's kingdom activity. I want you to know, remember, in this local church, every ministry, every outreach, every mission partner we support on five continents around the world, and in states all across America, partners that we have, every preschooler that hears about Jesus through the family discipleship plan, every student that is discipled, every church that is planted is made possible through your financial generosity and my financial giving through this church. And you are a, a part of that, of God's kingdom activity. You're a part of that. So God could take this money, this 
the stuff that's going to fade away that he entrusts to us and say, give back in faith and trust to me and you get to be a part of something bigger than you could ever imagine. You partner together. Paul goes on, he says this, give you another vital truth. Number three, when we give, it is well-pleasing to God. Paul says that here. He says, verse 18, he says, I've received everything in full. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. He says, a fragrant aroma. He's referring back to Old Testament language of when the, the worshipers would bring this offering to the Lord and they would burn this offering. And it was, as it burned up, it was a picture of being a pleasing aroma, meaning God loves it. Now listen, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss something here. I want you to be real careful with this. God delights when his people joyfully, sacrificially give financially for the advancement of the gospel in trust of him. God delights in that. I'm not talking about the giving that it mentions in 2 Corinthians 9 that is obligatory giving like this. Yes, I'll give. I'm not real happy about it. Here you go. Or the giving that's out of compulsion because you said, well, the pastor told me I should give and he's probably looking at my giving records and I ought to give, you know, because whatever. That's compulsion. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, if that's the kind of giving you're giving, he says, don't even give. You ever heard a pastor say that? Don't give? Wow, that's radical. God doesn't need your money. But if that's the condition of your heart, what you needed to go before the Lord and say, Lord, watch this. My attitude in giving ultimately is a reflection of my heart. Therefore, if my giving is not joyful and it is not generous and it is not overflowing, that is a barometer that points right back to I have something wrong in my heart. And my response is to get on my face before the Lord and say, God, if I'm living like this and my attitude is like this, And my giving is like, well, I'm doing it, but I don't really want to. And that church just wants my money. And listen, it is not about money. It is about your heart. See that? Paul says, giving joyful, trusting, God-honoring giving pleases the Lord. Now watch this. Gospel giving is not to somehow earn God's favor. You understand that? We don't give and say, okay, God loves me more now, or God accepts me more now. No, 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 no. If you had a kajillion dollars, whatever number that is, all the money in the world, and you gave it to your local church, and you gave it to this church, you do understand you wouldn't earn a single bit of favor before God. You know why? Because you can't add anything to the completed work of Christ. Nothing. We, in Christ, are accepted before God. He has completely paid our price. And we, therefore, are free to give joyfully and generously in light of who Christ is and what Christ has done. See that? So you're not given to pay back a debt. Your debt has been paid. You're giving in response and worship of your loving Heavenly Father. If you go to a church and they somehow try to guilt you into giving out of a debtor's ethic, I'll just tell you right now, that church does not understand the gospel. You don't give as a debtor. You give as a child born again by the grace of God. See that? 
Paul says it is a soothing aroma to the Lord. It is well-pleasing to him. Why does God care about our giving ultimately? Here's your fourth truth, and it's this. When we give, we tangibly demonstrate trust in God as our ultimate provider. Isn't that great? See, every time we give, and we give faithfully, and we give consistently, and we give generously, there's a system to it. It's not just a little here. No, no I'm going I'm to organize my life and my finances around honoring God first. When we do that, ultimately what we're saying is this. I can give generously because my provider is God himself. Pastor Mike, I got a good job and I work at Eastman. That's fantastic. I got a good job and I work here. I'm, I, I get all that. But you need to understand, your ultimate provider is God himself. And he never runs short of resources. Amen. Giving matters to God and it matters to us because giving tangibly demonstrates our trust. Paul says, 419, and my God will supply all of your needs according to what? His riches. His riches. Listen, I'll tell you, there's a problem in your mind's giving, and it's me too. When my focus begins to be on my riches, my limitations, what I have, no, 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 no. Because everything I have belongs to Him. And everything in my hand has been given by Him. And Lord, if you want to put more in my hand, you can put more. Lord, if you want to take some out, you can take it out. You know why? Because you own it all. You own it all. My God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, let me get really practical. Just a few minutes, we're going to invite, I'm going to invite a couple of our elders up on stage, and they're going to give you some details about our 2018 budget and talk a little bit about give to go. But I first want to talk about what does this idea of giving look like here in this local church called Tri-Cities Baptist? If you're part of this church, you know, in the, if you've recently joined, you know we have a membership promise and it's something we say to one another and it's really what it means to be part of this church. One of the things is that we sacrificially and cheerfully steward the resources God has given me through our regular financial giving. In other words, this is who we are as a church. It's who we are as a local New Testament church, this area of giving. One of the ways it's demonstrated is through regular, consistent financial giving through our general fund of this church. You say, Pastor Mike, listen, I'm going to go ahead and take a stick out of some of your hands maybe. that Maybe you're thinking, you're saying, Pastor Mike, it's budget time. And I know why you're teaching on giving because we need to make budget next year and it's really important. That's why you're teaching on giving. Can I just say something very honestly to you right now because I know some of you are thinking that you're only half right. It's important to make budget, but let me just say this to you. As one of your elders, one of your pastors who loves you dearly, when we stand and teach God's word and what God's word faithfully teaches, the most important thing is not that we make budget. The most important thing in my heart and the heart of your elders is for you is that we teach what God's word says and we are disciples who are growing in our love relationship with Jesus. God has our heart, therefore he has our finances and we are learning the joy 
the joy of faithful stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. I think, God, I, I, I learned it here. I want you to learn it here. I want you to know that joy. I teach my, we try to teach our kids this constantly. If I could teach any young person something going ahead as a disciple, you start now saying, I'm going to honor God first with everything he gives to me, and it will serve you well the rest of your life. Here's what I believe. If God's people are faithfully walking in, in worship, and trust in Him, and we're faithfully giving, we don't have to worry about the budget. We don't even have to worry about it. God takes care of all that. I want you to know the joy of faithfully trusting God in the area of giving. So this means regular, consistent, general, fun giving here at this church. Pastor Mike, are you talking about tithing? Maybe a question. I'll just answer that this way. I'm talking about one of the most freeing, challenging, God-honoring, tangible ways to know and experience God's faithfulness. I'm talking about living, recognizing everything comes from God. Everything he gives me is his. And Lord, for the rest of my life, I'm going to honor you first and know the joy of saying, God, I'm going to honor you first. Pastor Mike, does that mean 10% for you and your family? Just get real personal? Nope. God in his grace has allowed us to take that 10% that many of you have heard and use it as a good starting point and a good guide. But by His grace has allowed us to be able to do a lot more through this local church. We love this church and we give generously through this church to the Lord. Whether I'm the pastor or one of the pastors or on staff, not as a member of this local body. 10% is a good starting place and a guide for us as a heart of overflowing joy to the Lord and wanting to know the joy that it is faithful stewardship. I want you to know that joy. So one of the ways is through regular, consistent, general fund giving. The other way is through what we call give to go. Give to go is a fund that's set up every dime that comes in, goes out of our church to plant churches, reach the unreached, serve the vulnerable. You're going to hear more and more about that. It's been something we've had in our church for years. But we believe as a church, watch this, over the next, by 2021, we believe as a church we can raise a million dollars through give to go. Every dime of it goes out of our church to do things we can't imagine as God leads and provides for us. I want to be a part of something like that. So this morning, I, you're going to watch, I want to ask you to watch a real quick video as Pastor Gene tells us a couple things about the budget in particular. And then we're going to take just a few minutes this morning and share as elders a uh, big picture of the budget and then specifically what we believe God's going to let us be a part of over the next three to four years as a church. So turn your attention to the screen. Well, hey, church family. This is Gene Remillion. I serve as the stewardship pastor here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. And I want you to know that it really has been a joy and a privilege for Gail and I to have walked alongside you and to have served this church for nearly 28 years. For months now, our elders, and our staff and key volunteer leaders have worked very hard on putting together a proposed budget for 2018. We also believe that this budget accurately reflects the mission of Tri-Cities Baptist Church, which is to know God and to make Him known to our neighbors and to the nations. On behalf of our elders, I would like to encourage you in a few things. First of all, I'd like to ask you to familiarize yourself with this budget proposal for 2018. Printed overviews are available at each campus and detailed budgets are available online and on the TCBC app. Number two, if you have any questions or comments, please submit those to our elders via email. Number three, join us for the next family meeting on Sunday night, December 3rd 
at the Johnson City campus. Seriously, if you consider Tri-Cities Baptist Church to be your church family, then you really need to be a part of this family meeting. It will help you to understand what God has been doing among us and what we hope He will continue to do in the future. And finally, on Sunday, December 10th, our plan is to come together in all three services and to joyfully affirm the budget for 2018 together. All right, well, I appreciate Pastor Gene there. I've got a couple other elders up here on stage and just want to share some really neat things with you. Uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Daniel, you know these guys, so why don't you just uh, say a warm welcome to them that we're thankful for these guys. They, they get a little nervous on stage, you know. So I just want to talk a little bit about budget and then give to go with you guys. And Daniel, I'll ask you this in early service. I, I think it's important as uh, some people are going to take this budget and go through all the details and some are just going to kind of glance at it. I get that. But as, as members of this church and we look at that budget and what it represents for our church, kind of help us understand what's the big picture that we ought to be looking at. Not, maybe not get down to all the minutiae, but help us with the big picture as we look at 2018 budget. Yeah, I, I, Again, I, I, that's a hard thing to do, to take just a few minutes and to summarize a whole year and uh, all those funds. But there are a few priorities I'd want you to see when you look ahead to 2018 and think through how our budget's going to help us do that. And I think the first priority you're going to see is we're, we really want to pursue and facilitate dynamic worship, both individually and corporately when we <laughs> gather. And so we recognize that the primary purpose of the believer is to exalt the name of the Lord, is to lift him up and to give him praise because he is worthy. And right now we're, we've got a class going on worship downstairs, and one of our main points is he is worthy because of who he is beyond our circumstance, beyond our emotion. He is worthy. And so one of the things that's really important to us is that we can gather together weekly and be able to sing and be able to pray and be able to preach, to resource one another, to worship the Lord, both corporately here and then go out and to be able to live a life of worship in spirit and truth and word and deed. And I think you're going to see that in a lot of different aspects in the budget, from facilities to staff to groups and teaching and resources, but you're going to see a commitment to worship. I think another one you're going to see is just a commitment to Scripture and the absolute truth that the Word of God is, that God has revealed Himself and made Himself known through the Bible. And we're going to follow that. We're going to teach that. So you're going to see a lot of stuff that's uh, centered around teaching, leadership multiplication, that gives a high view of Scripture in our lives. I think another thing you get to see is you're going to see a commitment to the family. You know, the Family Discipleship Plan is such an awesome resource for us as a church. Some people are like, I love it. Some people are like, I'm so tired of you talking about it. <laughs> Either way, I want you to know it's a great resource. And the reason I want it, listen, think about this. Could there be anything more important for us as a generation than to disciple our children? Yeah. And the fact that we would do that haphazardly, we would have no plan week over week, month over month, is just nonsensical. And so if you have a week-over-week, month-over-month, year-over-year plan that's not the family discipleship plan here, that's fine. We just want us to be strategic in teaching the next generation who God is and who he's called them to be. But if you don't, as a church, Ephesians 4, as elders, it's our responsibility to equip you for the work of ministry, and we know that work begins in your home. Grandparents, parents, it begins in you making disciples in the next generation. And so you see that through our family discipleship plan, but we also recognize that we have kids who are going to have parents 
who aren't going to disciple them, who aren't going to speak truth into their life, who are not going to admonish them, who are not going to encourage them in the Word of God. And so we've got kids' programs and student programs and even stuff we're developing more and more for college because we want to prioritize the responsibility of ministry that begins in the home. So I think you'll see an emphasis on the family. Oh, one more real quick, and this will set up a little bit what Jeff's going to share too. You're going to see when you look at our budget a mission emphasis that prioritizes gospel proclamation. See, we can be busy with many good things. We can do all kinds of good things. But the responsibility that we have as a church is to primarily keep the gospel proclamation front and center of our mission efforts. That means the ministries that we're going to prioritize, the things that we're going to do across the globe, the thing that we're going to make the most of are those that proclaim the gospel and call others to repent and place saving faith in Jesus. And so I think you're going to see a strong mission emphasis when you look through the budget. So those are four things. I think a commitment to worship, I think a commitment to the absolutes of scripture and teaching. You're going to see a, a commitment to the family. And you're going to see a commitment to gospel advancing mission. Yeah, so a good budget should reveal the priorities of a church. Just like a budget in your family reveals the priorities of that family. So you should be, see some priorities there. That's helpful. Jeff, talk to us a little bit about give to go I mentioned that. Maybe if you've been a part of this church for a short period of time, maybe you've not heard about give to go but it's, a, it's an over and above fund that we've set aside. We believe God gives us opportunities to do some pretty neat things in gospel advancement. Going to be hearing a lot more about give to go especially now that we're out of debt. Talk to us a little bit about it. I mentioned five pillars, all that of give to go What is it all about? Yeah, so you guys have heard a little bit about that, and it's, it's a really means give to global outreach. And what it does is it allows us collectively as a church to to do more together than maybe we could do individually. And if you if you didn't grab it on the way out, you can grab a sheet that has the budget details. In addition, you'll see uh, the Give to Go on there. And, and we have a goal to raise $1 million into Give to Go between now and 2021, which was a really kind of big goal for us. So starting next year in 2018, our goal is to see us give collectively $150,000. So that's outside of regular giving to the budget to Give to Go. And uh, the five things we, we're going to begin to talk about, I know sometimes in ministry uh, we tend to be a little vague and you hear these terms like what does that mean? So over time uh, we will process what that means. So reach the unreached. Uh, what does that mean? We, we want to be part of getting the gospel to people that have never heard. Nick Ripkin spoke extensively about that last weekend, that there are people in the world that have never heard about Jesus for the first time. As a church, we can't ignore that and we want to fund the work that gets the gospel uh, to people like that, that might be some of us go, yeah. short term, long term. That might be we help a partner on the field that's doing <clears throat> this so much better than us, and we equip them to do that. It's all those things. So we want to be part of getting the gospel to those who have never heard. And then plant churches, you guys know, we've planted Remedy City in Portland, Oregon. We're sending the Sherfies to Denver here uh, in a few months, and some of you will go. So, so to, to send planters... It, uh, to another city isn't free, and, and we want to be part of getting the gospel to dark cities in America, to evangelizing the loss in places like Portland, Oregon, and Denver, Colorado. And, and so we want to repeat that over and over again. We, we want to plant maybe one church a year as a church, and, and we want to send one family a year cross-culturally as a church. So give to go uh, this, this new idea, this one by 21 campaign helps us do that more rapidly and, and multiply uh, the gospel more quickly to our parts of the world. And then we talk about sending disciples. Uh, a lot of you guys in here have 
have been on short-term mission trips. That's one way we send. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, particularly for our next generation, we should invest heavily in allowing our students to go on to the mission field for one week, for summer, for spring break. Like Those are uh, the generation that we will send out around the world. Uh, some of those will be yeah. our kids and, and, and younger kids today in the church. So we send disciples short-term. We, we go long-term. We, we want to see families go plant churches. We want to see families uh, go overseas and serve among the unreached. We want to send one family a year from this church to do that, which is, which is uh, right now there's three families that have applied in our church to go somewhere overseas. They're, they're starting that process, and we want to help fund that. Mm-hmm. And then give to go helps us do that, and then train leaders. Uh, I mentioned earlier service, Daniel and I last year taught in Tanzania at a seminary. We equipped about 15 or 16 youth and family leaders in Tanzania that will more effectively go reach their people and go to the unreached people groups even in Tanzania. So we want to be part of theologically helping train uh, the global church and equip pastors around the world and then also, also serve the vulnerable. So as we give to give to go, we can help with disaster relief. We can address poverty uh, locally. We can address human trafficking. We can help uh, the least of these as we spread the gospel. So all those things kind of come under this, this give yeah. to go challenge for us that, that we're excited about. I'm excited to, to give to it personally and, and to see where the Lord will take our church in the future with that. Yeah, fantastic. So like Jeff said, you're going to hear a lot more about these five things. We're going to be very specific in what we believe God's going to allow us to be a part of. So Daniel, take that and, and maybe wrap it up a little by saying, okay, why should we as a church be excited about that? I mean, some of the stuff Jeff's talking about, you and know, I've talked at length about, well, that's a big deal for us as a church. Why should we be excited about that? Yeah, multiplication and impact beyond ourselves. I mean, what we can do together is just great. I, um, you guys remember the movie A Bug's Life? Anybody remember? Don't, I mean, come on. Deep <laughs> theological truth coming here, all right? Okay, for those of you that do, uh, Jennifer Lawrence never seen A Bug's Life. I found this out. <laughs> she would love for you to have her to your house and, and, and be able to, you know, have a movie night. So um, Maybe. It depends on who you are. I'm coming along on that deal, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. So uh, here's the concept of the movie. There's these, there's these crazy little, like, mean grasshoppers that pick on all the poor ants, right? And at one point in time in the movie, all the ants realize we outnumber them. And if we just work together, like we can conquer the world. See, here's the thing about Give to Go and what we're able to do in this. You're sitting in here, and as an individual, you may never have the opportunity to preach to thousands of people. But by sacrificing and giving to Give to Go, you're going to be able to plant churches. Yeah. See, as an individual, you may never go to a people group who has never heard the name of Jesus and be the first person to articulate the gospel to that people group. But by sacrificing and giving to give to go, you get to send people to advance the gospel to the unreached. See, you may never have the opportunity to go into a closed country and to meet with the church leaders and pastors influence them but by sacrificing and giving the give the go listen you get to train pastors and leaders around the world that Mm -hmm. influence millions Mm -hmm. see here's what I'm trying to say by us coming together and sacrificing with something so simple as our money Mm -hmm. we get to have an impact bigger than ourselves that multiplies the gospel around the world in ways that individually you or me may never get to be part of That's incredible. 
whether that's here locally or that's on the other side of the planet in a closed country. The opportunity through Give to Go to use something as simple as our money to advance the gospel around the world is a blessing from the Lord. And I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of a church that collectively we get to do more than I could ever do individually. That's the thing that's exciting to me. The multiplication and the awesome influence we get to have together as the body of Christ through our giving is just a rich blessing. So I'm pumped about it. Yeah, that's a good word. So hopefully uh, you guys hear this and you think, man, this is the direction of my church. There's some things I want to be a part of. I'm thankful to be a part of a church like this. So this time, thanks guys. I appreciate your all time. I'm going to let these guys go. I'm going to ask the team to come on up on stage. And we're going to kind of enter into a time of response a little bit. It's going to look a little bit different for you. And you've heard a lot this morning. And you say, how do we respond to something like this? Well, here's what's going to happen over the next couple weeks. Probably in just a few days, if you're a member of this church, a part of this church, you're going to receive a letter in the mail. And it's going to explain a little bit more about the budget. But it's going to have a little card like this in, in, in the mail. And Basically, it's a tool for you. Remember, what we're talking about this morning is a whole lot more than just whether or not we meet budget. Hear the heart on that. What you've heard about this morning is how do we continue to grow in Christ-likeness and grow in generosity because of the heart of Jesus, what Jesus is doing in us. So you're going to receive this little tool. It's this little I'm all in card. And I'm going to ask you to, when you get that, just take that as a family and maybe glance over the budget, but more so see the priorities of your church. Uh, you can look and there'll be some information there about give to go and you can say man going into 2018 maybe over and above here's how my family could be a part of some really globally impacting things and you pray through that as a family what's your plan what's your what's your current giving status how are you currently are you are you involved in that at all what's your next step and then in a couple weeks we're going to bring this little card back in and we're going to affirm the budget together Affirming a budget means as a family, we're going to say, yes, that reflects our priorities. But as I affirm, I'm a part of it financially. I'm a part of it through my giving. So you come in in a few weeks having prayed through that, thought through that. A couple weeks, if you have any questions about the budget, as you heard, you come talk to one of us, email one of our elders. That's why we have this period of prayer and preparation that we're going to affirm this budget together. And then we're going to go glorify God by making disciples to the ends of the earth together. So why don't you just bow your head for a minute. Let me pray for you. Uh, I'm going to ask the ushers, uh, if you will, to go ahead and be coming down front. We're going to move into our time of tithes and offerings. And then our team's going to sing a song with us. And we're going to close that way. So ushers, if you will, just be making your way down to the front. I'm going to pray over our time of offering. Pray for you this morning. And then we'll celebrate our time of offering. And our team's going to sing over us this morning. So, Father, we thank you for this church and this church family. God, what a gift. What a mercy you've given us. Pray, Lord, over the next couple weeks and, Lord, even now, you stir in all of our hearts about where is our heart before you? And how does our giving and how does our generosity reflect? Is our heart right now a heart of worship? God, is our heart overflowing and great love and affection for you? Or are we distracted? Lord, are we pursuing joy in other things? And Lord, our wallets will reflect that. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, and I pray for myself. Even as we go through these exercises over the next couple of weeks, reveal our heart. God, if our heart's drifting, if our heart's gone astray, Lord, we want a heart of worship. 
Help us to return fully to you. We love you this morning. We praise you. We thank you for these people, this church. In Jesus' name, amen.